You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 24. Marina Bejanova is a recruitment expert, speaker, co-founder of Pronexia, and founder of Influence HR. Well known in the recruitment world, she built her personal brand that got her featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Success Magazine. In this episode, Marina tells us about her experience immigrating to Canada from the Ukraine, and how difficult it was to get employed with an unpronounceable last name. She tells us stories about human biases in recruiting. She also explains that her work ethic allows her to successfully manage a business and motherhood. Connect with Marina on LinkedIn or search for pronexia.com. Continue listening to hear about the power of sticking to your values, even when times are tough. The Note Formula podcast offers a glimpse into the lives of real entrepreneurs who possess a variety of experiences and backgrounds. Through raw conversations, learn about their passions, journeys, setbacks, and milestones. Join host Laura L. Bernhard as she confirms that there is, in fact, no formula to success. Get inspired and stay motivated throughout your entire journey. Subscribe today. Marina, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited to be here. First of all, for everyone listening, I just want everyone to know that the offices here at Pronexia are so pretty. I You're love so them. Kind. Thank I, you. I love them so much. I can't wait to play ping pong later. Challenge you. Do you actually play? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> okay, well, we'll let them know what happens, but challenging you. So I want to dive right into your story because I'm so curious. You are actually not from Canada. Can you tell us where you're from? Um, yes, I was born in the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. uh, which later on, um, my part of the world became Ukraine. And so I was born in the Soviet Union, grew up in Ukraine. And when I was 16 years old, um, my family decided to move to Canada uh, for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, it was a, those were very difficult times where we were living. There was a ton of corruption. There was not a lot of future for somebody young growing up. Um, and uh, my sister had this dream for some reason. Somebody had told her about McGill University. Her dream of going to McGill. And then she decided to move to Canada and uh, we decided to follow and uh, follow and up here. So you were 16 years old, which means you continued your studies here? Yes, so I came here right after high school. So you know those uh, awkward teenage years where everybody just wants to fit in and just not be noticed, right? It's only later on in life we want to stick out and be unique and nobody wants, 95% of people don't want to be unique when they're 16. Mm -hmm. Um, So I came at exactly that time, you know, the awkward teenage years um, with a massively heavy accent. So I spoke zero French, I spoke English. Nobody could understand what I was saying, but it was just the constant, I would start talking, people's eyebrows would go up, the look of confusion would go on. Um, so I went to CJEP, I went to Vanier College to major in languages. Um, so that was great, and I was able to get good grades, that was fantastic. And then right after, I went to McGill University, where my sister was uh, getting her master's degree at, um, and decided to major in marketing for unbeknownst to me reasons. This was ridiculous. This was pre-social media. Oh. So it was all advertising. And in advertising, you had to have points of reference, right? Like you needed to know brands. I grew up in the Soviet Union, so what brands, right? I would sit in class. First of all, when I spoke, nobody would understand what I was saying. I understood what was going on, but I couldn't also participate because, example, the teacher would say, uh, the professor would say, you know, uh, what car is synonymous with safety? I grew up without a car. I don't know. 
with the golden arches. What's that symbol? I don't know. We did not have McDonald's when I was growing up. I don't know. We were constantly sitting around and not knowing um, was what studies looked like for me in, in Montreal. So to answer your question, yes, I went to school here after high school. That must have been very difficult, though. Brutal, self-esteem killer, especially when, you know, I'm from a family of academics, you know, high achievers. I was a straight-A student. I could, I was not allowed to shop at home with a B. Like, I would, if ever that was happening for any reason, I had to negotiate with the teachers. and just, that was not allowed, straight-A. Um, and then all of a sudden to find myself, um, you know, not being understood, people kind of, you know, and also McGill, BCom program, it's snooty, you know, so it's also, it's also very particular. Um, and just to find myself in class all of a sudden being mediocre or being one of the worst in many ways, right, um, was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that, was, that was quite rough on the self-esteem for sure. You go to CJEP in languages, you go to university in marketing, then you started working for corporate companies, I'm assuming. Well, so at first I went, well, that was my dream and I wanted to get a job in marketing naturally because I graduated in marketing from McGill University, right? And at McGill, they tell you, you graduate from McGill, You've got it made, right? Um, but with a complete unpronounceable last name, my, my parents actually gave me my mother's last name, um, not my father's, because my father is Jewish. And when we were growing up, they didn't want people to know that I'm Jewish, so that's, you know, for years of persecution. Um, so I got my mother's unpronounceable Ukrainian, you know, Eastern European last name. Um, try finding a job with that when you were, you know, fresh off the, off the boat in marketing, when marketing is all about, you know, and being more in the you know in the images of things, nobody was interested in me. So I was looking for jobs. I was applying. Nothing was happening. I had no idea why. Um, until by complete fluke, I fell into recruitment, which I did not even know existed. You said that your name was an issue for you when applying to jobs. Do you know that for a fact? Did someone actually tell you that, or are you assuming? Okay, so I know it for a fact, and here's how I know it. So first of all, now I also work in recruitment, so I know that yeah. bias is exceptionally prevalent because I hear what's said behind closed doors, right? So nobody said to me, we're not interested in you because of your name. However, uh, when, the, when I started my first job in recruitment, my first task was to go on monster.ca, punch in keywords for the job we were looking to fill, print out, very eco-friendly, print out the bajillions of CVs, go see my boss, and he would teach me how to sort through CVs and prioritize and make phone calls, etc. So my first, you know, experience doing that, I do it, keywords, printouts, bring the pile to his office. He sits me down and says, okay, Marina, rule number one, we take series of people with, with names we cannot pronounce and we'll put them at the bottom of the pile. And I'm sitting there staring <laughs> because they can't oh believe I'm saying it. And he's staring and I'm staring and he's staring and then he goes, oh, no, no, no. I didn't mean somebody like you. You, you're you're amazing, right? The only way I, I got hired at that job is that I cold called them incessantly because I submitted my CV twice, nobody called me, and then I kept calling them until somebody picked up the phone and heard that you know I sound good and I'm all outgoing and dynamic, um, and they they brought me in for an interview. So oh I mean, God. I've heard that so many times from hiring managers about candidates. They want people from here. Oh, from here, here. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's, that's you asked them to define. Okay, wait. You're saying that people do that now? Absolutely. Yeah, so one of my clients was, and to make matters worse, one of my clients was head of HR. <laughs> so it's not, you know, I don't know, like somebody who's just disconnected from reality, but head of HR at a major corporation here in Montreal. Um, 
Madame uh, with the last name, I'm not going to pronounce. So I sent her CVs. She called me and she said, Marina, thank you. Your speed of execution is so fantastic, so quick. You sent to people, I get it. But in the database of candidates, do you know how many people from here? And I was naive. And so I thought maybe she, she was thinking, I don't know, they're living somewhere else. <laughs> no joke. And so I go, but, well, that makes sense. But Madame, uh, last name, um, they're, no, they're, they're here. Like one of them is in Laval, one of them lives downtown on my land. I said, no, no, Marina, you're from me. You're here. And what do you mean? And she goes, no, just people who, who, who are from here, like born here with names that are from here. And again, I go, but, and so imagine if she's saying something like that. You know, to me, a uh, half stranger, what she's saying in the privacy of her own home, you know, behind closed doors in, in the kitchen. Um, and so I said, to, you know, Madame, Madame, you're saying this to me. And uh, she's like, oh, no, but sweetheart, I don't mean you. I don't mean somebody like you. You, know, you I would hire in a, in a moment. And, you know, I said flattering, but not true, because she is one of the people who didn't want to hire me before they found out that I was you know, like me. Um, these people were certainly more qualified than me, better than me for the job she was looking to fill. But uh, yeah, interesting. I've heard that many times. And now continuing uh, work in recruitment, I hear it a lot less because I'm not directly involved with clients. Mm -hmm. uh, but my team does. And, uh, you know, our joke between closed doors, you know, we're, we're not an escort service. You know, we don't match people up on strange criteria. Uh, we're a headhunting firm because it doesn't only, bias doesn't only apply to immigrants. It applies to people, you know, touches people um, across the board. We hear it all. We don't want them young, old. We don't want a man. We want a man. We don't want a woman. We want a woman. Just there's a criterion that we hear, you know, across the board and everything. Racial, just everything. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Just going back to what you said before, you got into this HR firm. How did you translate from working under this job to starting your own HR agency? by complete fluke and no intentionality whatsoever. It just was not, I am not among the people that said, you know, I was born an entrepreneur and it was always my dream. Well, it also couldn't have been my dream because in the Soviet Union, it didn't exist as a concept, right? <laughs> and so it wasn't, it wasn't my dream. It was not something to aspire towards whatsoever. Um, and as any good immigrants, the dream was a corporate job. You climb up the corporate ladder get an office with a view of downtown, your parents come to see you, they take a picture, they send it back home, and you've made it. So that was the dream. Um, how that changed was, so I mentioned to you, I completely fell in love with recruitment. I didn't necessarily love where I was working. And finding a job doing what I loved doing uh, with a recruitment firm um, that would do things in a way that would align with myself and my values just didn't seem to exist, at least at the time. And so when my now co-founder approached me um, with the idea to start a business of our own, so first of all, she came to see me. I had just found out I was pregnant with kid number one. And somehow she figured it out by the look on my face. And so she said, this is amazing. We're going for lunch. I need to talk to you. We were acquaintances. We were former colleagues. We were not friends. She said at the time, so she said, let's go for lunch. We need to talk. We went. She said, you're pregnant. You're hormonal. You're irrational. This is what I'm going to convince you that we're going to start a business together. And I am hormonal. I don't know. I'm crying. I'm literally, I'm sitting in the food court eating center and I'm like, I'm crying. <laughs> and <laughs> over my, you know, Kojak's meal. And I said, like, I'm going to start a business. Like, I need money. Like, I'm going to start a business. I need a paycheck. And uh, I didn't have any, you know, secret savings or trust fund. I wasn't going to be looking for any uh, 
magic investors. And she said, no, 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 you'll see, you'll see. You'll be hormonal, then you'll have the baby, you'll start crushing in life, and this is when we're going to start a business. And I said, okay, but what kind of business? What business are we starting? Because this was the first conversation. And she said, Amy, Amy, I just want to start a business with you, and I feel that it's, it's the, we're the right partners for each other. You choose. What business, Marina, do you want us to start? I'm crying over my you know, Greek takeout. <laughs> and they go, well, I think we should start a daycare. <laughs> no, no kidding. <laughs> because, of course, I'm pregnant, so that's no. what I'm thinking about. Um, for a few months, she entertained that idea fully. We were talking about the daycare we were going to start and run until I realized I knew nothing about daycares, uh, apart from the fact that I would need one at some point. Mm -hmm. And then we decided to focus on, on what we actually loved and where we felt that we could make a real difference, which is why we decided to start a recruitment firm, which was a passion, but do it in a way that would completely align with our own values. I love that you guys weren't even friends when she came up to you and asked you to start a company. How did she know? Do you know why? She was like, yes, Marina, it has to be you to start a company. Uh, it's a really good question. I mean, we've discussed it, of course, many times. I think one, it's just um, there was some sort of um, an alignment and fit, right? And sometimes that's very hard to quantify. We also, um, we're, we're very similar in many ways, but also very different in many ways. So it made, made our dynamic very complementary. Um, so I think that's why I've, I've also been, always been a workhorse. So I'm also a good partner to have <laughs> for that reason. I'm a worker, I love working. Um, so certainly um, that was that was a plan as well. And then when we started, you know, it was just the two of us uh, with a tiny little narrow desk. We sat in front of each other's faces, very close, closer than we're sitting right now, all day long in a basement office. And uh, she, her background was sales, mine was recruitment. So it was also a perfect duo mm -hmm. um, because she would be doing business development, bringing in clients, and I would be finding candidates and filling, filling the brand. And you told us the story about crying over your Kojaks, and you said that you need money to start a company. Do you still believe that it requires capital to start a company? No, so we invested zero dollars into it. Um, it was more the money I was not going to be receiving in form of a paycheck, <laughs> right? And um, I've uh, always been, um, you know, a 50-50 type of person as far as, you know, home expenses and everything. I, I feel it's important to pay your own, you know, share of things. That's always been part of my values. Um, and so that's, that, that, that was the scariest part. I also, because I was great at what I was doing um, in my corporate job, I made a lot of money. And so to take a huge gamble, and not have any money for who knows how long, right? Because you don't know, it's unpredictable. And you just had a child stressful. at this point. And I had a baby. Yeah. Um, the bills didn't go away, they just increased. So that that was the biggest, um, that, that was exceptionally scary. So no, I don't think you need to be investing money to start a business. I think I'm, I'm also risk averse. I'm not a risk taker, I'm not a real entrepreneur. <laughs> I don't know what they say. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a risk taker, and so I believe that the longer you can just grow organically and slowly, um, the longer you sleep at night. So you started this business, Panexia, 10 years ago, around nine, mm -hmm. nine years ago. Um, how did you guys grow your business through this beautiful office that we're in right now? <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so absolutely organically. So we, um, I believe, first of all, the... What allowed us to, because just to also go back in time a bit, we started our business at the end of the almost recession we had. Okay, so this was 2010 is when we started, the almost recession. 
What happens in recession or almost recession is people don't hire. Yeah. And if they hire, they hire temp workers, right, on contract. We decided to start a business in hiring and say we're not going to take on any contractual mandates, okay? So it was really illogical. And we also said that our core value and how we're going to differentiate this business from a million other agencies in town is our core value is candidate experience and not clients. Today it's very in vogue to say that because everybody's desperate for candidates. At the time, it was strange because at the time, everybody was just fighting for the piece of the pie that was the clients. Nobody cared about the candidates. There were so many people looking for jobs that we would post an ad and we would have to pause it in 24 to maximum 48 hours because we would get to 100 applications. Any job. So it was very easy to find people. And we said our value is candidate experience. That was strange. But that set us apart. Um, we were very picky with the clients we were taking on. We were very particular. We were extremely value-driven, experience-driven for candidates. Um, the war started getting out, but that's how we worked. We started growing. Um, and then as soon as we could afford our first part-time employee, $11 an hour, we counted how many hours we could squeeze into our payroll. It wasn't many. Um, then we brought on you know, somebody on board to you know, help out with interviews and recruitment. How many years into it? A few months in. Oh, really? A few months in. Yeah. Now, mind you, the first year, we also, you know, we did not live fancy lives by stretch of imagination. We, lunch was, I remember we went to Costco for, like, I don't know, some office supplies, and we got boxes and boxes of these, you know, that dry soup, like ramen noodles, and you microwave water and put into it. That was lunch every day um, until we developed stomach pains. Oh, and then I realized that it must be that you know, mm -hmm. imported, manufactured at a Chinese factory <laughs> soup, yeah. uh, must have done that. Um, so, no, we were very frugal, um, So, but as soon as we could afford the first person, we did. And then our second hire, our full-time hire, was somebody in business development, um, who's still with us. Oh. Still here, still with the company, sits on the office right over there. Am I going to meet him or her? Uh, him, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he's been with us this whole time, and so we brought him on board, and he started, um, you know, helping out with business development, bringing clients, and then once we had a few more clients, then we had our first recruiter, and just very slowly moved around. I think it's so interesting that you guys were able to pick and choose your clients. Not a lot of people who are just starting their business are able to do that. And so when you would put out these posts online or wherever you were posting them and you had this influx of 200 resumes were you stressed how did you react to all that work when it was just you two at the beginning no it was exciting oh okay. i was nervous there would be no work <laughs> but you know on the topic of being very selective with our clients that that's another reason we were able to grow because that's how we built our reputation and we are in a reputation type of business because we're in services so, you know, in the services industry, it's it's all reputation, right? You're not differentiating yourself on the product or the actual service that you deliver. Um, it's also not about the, you know, people say, well, um, we provide, you know, the best service, the best customer service. But um, with, with clients and B2B, well, everybody is, right? Because everybody wants a piece of the pie. Um, so that's not how you differentiate yourself. For us, it was our reputation. And the quickest way to ruin that reputation um, was to take on just any client. Right, so I'll give you an example. One of the first clients that we were able to get was this big company in the West Island area of a thousand employees. <laughs> There's not that many things somebody could choose which one. Um, we got them as a client. We went on a client visit, and they had 
this massive office with the chef. There was a laundry service. There was a movie theater. They had every part. And so they uh, tasked us with helping them recruit their sales um, sales reps, so entry level. You know, they hire as many as we can produce, put everybody in a training class, and then whoever survives, the you know, one of those yeah, yeah. one month training. But it was all an English only job, no French. There were like shuttles, free shuttles between downtown and West Ham. That was very easy to recruit for. Okay, it was fantastic. So we recruited a whole bunch of people. Our first batch of candidates, as they were called, our first batch. Mm-hmm. We delivered the batch. Okay. You have to know the lingo, HR lingo. No, it's very bad lingo. Okay. Just do that. That's a bad way to talk about people um, in batches. But so we deliver and the training class starts. And can you imagine? We just like, we just placed all these people in jobs. And like this is like, we're just, we're about to start making massive money. We can just sit on this one account and pay our bills. So we were massively excited. Um, a couple of weeks into our batch of uh, candidates starting the job, I get a call from one of the candidates and I can hear her voice is uh, shaking and she said, Marina, I just got let go from the job where that you recruited me for. And um, she said, you know, and I, I don't think, I can't remember the last time I felt this humiliated in my life. And that was exactly my facial expression and my heart drops and what do you mean? And how Cornelius candidate experience, you know? Okay, that's employee experience <laughs> now, right? But that's, that's not good. And so I asked her what happened, and she said that she came in as always for 8 o'clock for the class, and at 8.10, um, um, the, the head of sales um, opened the door, peeked in, and said, can I see you in the hallway? Can I chat with you for a bit? She said, sure. She stepped out. Um, he said, unfortunately, we're letting you go, so please get your stuff and go. But the worst part is that then she had to do the walk of shame, of walking back into that uh, classroom. Everybody's asking her where she's going. She's collecting her belongings and do, then doing the walk of shame back yeah. to the door. Yeah. Could have been handled completely differently, right? People are let go. That that's part of right life yeah. and work process. It's how you do things, right? Yeah, just terrible. So, um, so I told her, let me see what happened, and I have the phone, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm just thinking, well, that's that's exactly what we said we were going to be the anti representation to, and this is what we actually are. So my uh, co-founder called the company, asked what happened, and they were very matter of fact about it. You know, she wasn't great, whatever. And she said, but you think you could have handled it differently because, you know, it just wasn't a great way. Thinking maybe they're like, so sorry, don't know how it happened. You know, we'll fix it. Mistakes happen. But then, no, you're like, oh, come on. Like, no big deal. Well, then why are we talking about it if you're other people are doing great? And um, so she hung up the phone and we spoke about it. And we realized that no matter how lucrative that account, that literally was like our main account at the time, right? That was going to pay the bills. Um, we had no money in the bank. We barely paid anything. Um, we said we're we can't do this because then why did we start this? So she called back. Um, she said, you know, we don't think we're the right partner for you, and we're not going to move forward with the with the other openings that you have. So we spoke out to the account acquisition person. The next day, their head of HR called us, VPHR. Wow, that took some guts there. That's impressive. <laughs> okay, the like, listen, do you want like let's let's just figure it out. Let's continue working together. No big deal. I'm impressed. They said no. The next day, their VP of another sister company calls us. Wow, word spread. That was guts. You can't believe you did that. You know, that's values. I like that. Listen, it's very different in my department. That's, you know, the sales team, sales reps, you know, junior entry level. Our team's completely different. We want to give you guys two senior positions. So they were giving us two manager roles. 
completely exclusive just to work with us because they were so impressed. I don't remember this moment forever because I couldn't hear what was being said on the other phone. <laughs> I just hear what my co-founder says. And she's staring at me and we kept the debrief, right? Because yeah. it's happening live. And she goes, but why is it different on one team versus another? It's the same company. Why? Because it's sales reps, because they're junior. It shouldn't be different. It's the same company. It's the same values. Thank you. We appreciate it, but we're not the right partner for you. And she hangs up the phone and she goes, what did I just do? <laughs> why oh, my God. That? But the um, power of sticking to your values was very hard. Because we had, you know, we did it was very hard. Um, we did it, but it was hard. Today it's easy. We do that today all the time. We fire clients all the time. We talk about it. You know, we have a list of clients we fired um, because they didn't align with our values. They mistreated their candidates. Um, today we can afford to do that. So today it, it only feels good. At that time, it feels right. <laughs> but yeah. it feels also bad. It feels scary. Yeah. Um, but yes, that's that determined our, our success early on. Can I ask you more, I don't know if this is a personal question or a, a more industry level question. I don't know how it works in HR. Do they pay you per position that you that you place? Yes. Only after a certain amount of time that they've stayed or how does that work? So when you recruit somebody, mm-hmm. um, they pay once the person starts the job. Okay. But then if ever it doesn't work out with a person, then you replace them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Okay, so it's more of a partnership, an ongoing partnership. It's not a one-time deal? Depends, because there are some companies that use your services once, some um, because it's also a cost of service, right? Recruitment is a cost of service. So um, with some companies, we work for years. Some, mm-hmm. you know, maybe this one time, they could you know, afford the help and the service. Um, it, it really depends on the company. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I deviated, but okay. So that happened at the beginning of Connexia. Fast forward a few years. Now I want to I want to ask you about social media and how that has played a part in growing your business. Because I know you have a very big presence on LinkedIn. Can you talk to us more about that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll also get. I keep going back in time, but I just very quickly to tell you. So I remember I discovered LinkedIn. When it was not very popular yet, and mm-hmm. I was a recruiter working at the company that I told you about, mm-hmm. and when I saw it, it just blew my mind that this was happening. That I was a recruiter would have access to people's profiles. It's only in the last eighteen months, almost two years now, that it has become a social media yeah. platform. Up until yeah. then, it was a, already essentially a replacement for Monster.ca, mm-hmm. but open, not private, and you could yeah. message people. What? So I remember running to my boss and saying, I have to demo something to you. I have to show you like, have, like this is going to be like, we all need to create profiles and just do whatever we can because this is the thing. It was quite old school. She didn't understand what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. She said, okay, well, we're very excited. So here's what we're going to do. <laughs> I get excited. She said, you're very excited. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put you on a call with our New York office right? because they're in New York. So they know what's up. We <laughs> 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 had a call with them. You are going to explain this to them, and if they say that this makes sense, then we're going to move forward with whatever you want, creating profiles or not. I remember to this day, I actually haven't told this story in a while, um, so I delivered the presentation, was so excited. There's a pause. It wasn't video. It was just on speaker phones. There's a pause, and I'm just waiting for something. Like, pause, 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 and then they both start laughing. They laughed at you? Yeah. What? And they go, this is never going to work with Marina. Like, who is going to be putting up <laughs> their information for everybody to see? This is not going to work. My boss goes, 
purple red because she's so embarrassed that I just embarrassed her with something completely ridiculous. And she just looks at me and <laughs> fast forward to today. Yeah, fast forward to today. Now you're laughing at that. Yeah, so it's, it was a funny story because I just remember what it was like. Um, but so yeah, social media was huge because I mean, social media democratized the playing field. First of all, for people with unpronounceable last names. First of all, to mm-hmm. go back to loop back in, yeah, um, because you were able to show what you are like. And when people say somebody like you, I would. Well, now they know what I am like, right? Yeah, beyond the name, and of course, also democratize the field the field for a small business because we're able to promote ourselves, market ourselves share the essence of who we are mm-hmm. um, it's been huge for that so i've been focused on building a very strong presence on linkedin and a personal brand on linkedin which has resulted in, in incredible things we've been featured in uh, such publications as uh, forbes inc.com fast company um, i've been invited to be on the radio i was invited to teach a course on social media i went to teach a course on marketing you understand? I saw that, but do you understand? <laughs> Nobody wanted me for marketing. Like everyone oh. after the class, I came. I was like, oh. um, I was invited to give talks at Miguel, and it was in some panel on on PR, and that was at Miguel. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the chip on the shoulder is always stays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You carry that insecurity forever. Um, so yeah, social media has been massive for that. The connections I've made. And the exposure that it builds on an individual level, but also company level, has been massive. For everyone listening, what's your top three tips of building your brand on LinkedIn? I think the number one is self-awareness. You have to figure out who you are and you have to be very comfortable with it, right? Because Mm -hmm. everybody is very different. Mm -hmm. I am extremely outspoken. I really speak my mind, which is because I grew up in a society where that was not allowed. So as soon as they came to a society where that's allowed, that's all I want to do. I just want to say things how they are and not self-censor because I grew up yeah. censoring myself. Yeah. Um, but that's how I am. And I get a lot of messages from people saying, you know, how, how do you say that? Do not get backlash. Um, you know, I could never do that. And I say, but you shouldn't do that. If that's not who you are, right? My online persona is identical to my offline persona. There's no doubt. So let's say that's important because you don't want to be putting you know, some, some facade or face, mm-hmm. and when people meet you, they're they're confused because it's very two very different people, that's number true. one. Uh, number two, of course, consistency, right? Because that's how social media works, that's how algorithms work. Um, it's interesting, it also creates a perception because the more you post, the more people think you're everywhere and you're doing so many things. It's not always the case, right? Like sometimes <laughs> I'll go to somebody's house and, you know, you're like, you are everywhere. I'm like, no, it's only oh. like You just see me pop up a lot. I, I do do a lot of things. I'm not taken away from that and the pride that I take on that and you know the opportunities. I would say that that is definitely number two. And then number three is uh, um, just share what you're doing. So not only opinions, but it allows people to know what, what the different stuff that you do um, really is. You know, so when I, um, I don't know, give a talk somewhere, I, I talk about that on LinkedIn. When, you know, I take on some new role or board role or something, I share that as well. Um, so that people kind of can can get to know, um, and but also you know I think like you you have to really deeply truly enjoy it, you know because if yeah. I were to ask you you know what are the tips for somebody to do podcasting mm-hmm. like you really have to really love it right because otherwise yeah. if you love it that's why you know it goes well for you if I don't love it I'm I'm, I'm gonna be 
limitation on you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's the same with social media. You have to love it. You have to love engaging with people. You have to love responding to them. Right. You're not just there to, you know, do to monologue with people. It has to be a two-way street. But I, I think you just have to love it first. Yeah. I, I like the advice of also like managing your offline and your online persona because it's true. Like essentially, you want to be meeting the people you meet on LinkedIn in real life. Mm-hmm. And if you're completely different in real life, that makes zero sense. Right. I think that's super important. And also just that you have to love it and be consistent. So I also want to go back to two parts of the story that you've already covered. And one is you being a mom and also the part where you were featured in magazines. So you were featured in the Success magazine and it was about motherhood. So you have two children. You have a company. Just how how is managing all of that? Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a loaded question. I promise. Um, it's it's rough sometimes, but it's it's not about the fact of owning a business. It's being a, a career oriented woman. Um, and I've seen women, and I've gotten backlash for that. I've said, oh, but, you know, career and your father, it's, it's not the same. And I can I can specify how it's not the same. We can go deep. Um, but being a career-oriented woman is passionate about working, but also passionate about her kids and doing a great job. Um, well, the more you have on your plate, in, as in anything in life, the, the harder it is, right? And it mm-hmm. uh, comes with feelings of guilt um, at the office. I, I'm looking right now, what's the time? You know, what time can I pick up? Where am I going first? Which one... When do I go to get thing one? When do I go get thing two? Uh, from Dr. Seuss. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. I'm guilty that my daughter right now is sitting in an extended day at school. And I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking it's getting dark. My son's at, you know, I'm always at work. Uh, oh, because I'm like, oh, I just felt so bad. <laughs> but that's always. And then when I'm with them, for example, tomorrow, I'm not coming to the office because my daughter's best friend is skating. And her mother is a high-powered executive who has to be somewhere for a meeting, can't bring her. So I'm the replacement mother. So I'm going there, and then I'm thinking, I'm feeling guilty because I should be here at the office, and I should be with my team, and I was supposed to have a team meeting. So it's just a constant juggle. It's not because I own a business. It's because there are you know, two big, huge parts of my identity. They don't always coincide in time and space. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the struggle. I think that's a great way of putting it. It's not that you are a co-founder or an entrepreneur, it's that you're just so passionate about it and just juggling both means so much to you. Absolutely. So what's your advice for parents who feel guilty when they're at work? I don't have advice. I can just say what I do and what works for me mm-hmm. because we're all so different, right? Mm-hmm. And there are feelings of guilt. We all have them, but they're all a bit different. Um, what works for me is I just go all in and I overcompensate on both ends. Okay. <laughs> so that's what that's what I do. No doubt. So when I'm at work, um, I'm I'm all in, I'm present, I give my all, I'm here. Um, there's consistency that I have with the team, my meetings, you know, everything I'm all in. When I'm with my kids, I definitely overcompensate. My daughter turns 10, she's having a birthday party, wanted 10 children to sleep over. Some of them have never slept over anywhere, so that means I'm not going to sleep the night. 
because the kids when they haven't slept anywhere they come to see you a lot <laughs> um, <laughs> oh i didn't know and that so i said sleepover sure i'm renting a giant car so i can transport them and i have fun everything like she wanted unicorn theme party and to make slime i found people that make unicorn slime okay <laughs> and we do that and then we're going bowling and i'm going to go to her favorite cake place so i go above and beyond but then of course she complains that I don't always pick her up at three o'clock, that she's often an extended day. I don't volunteer at her school. I just it's 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 just not an option. So she will say that even for other mommies. And uh, she says it quite a bit, and then they say yes, but you other mommies are gonna stand ten child <laughs> sleepovers. So for me, number one, I will compensate. Number two, I've had to learn to be confident enough to tune out um, opinions. Because that's where it's harder for women than men. That's why I said there's a difference. Um, as women, we're on the receiving end of a lot of comments and a lot of opinions. When I go on a business trip and I mention it to somebody, it's very frequent that I hear, oh, who's going to be with the kids? <gasps> you know, a foster home. <laughs> Good trust. Are you available? There are no other options. <laughs> right? And it's just a strange question. And not some, something a man would ever hear, you know, like, oh, you're going to this trip, who's going to this? You're just not here. Or, you know, how old is your kid? I remember the first trip um, we took internationally, my son was a year and um, three months. Um, and uh, so many people, so either, oh, and who's he with? Or, you know, the encouraging comment that still stains of, and you left him and you went, good for you, Marina, good. And then you still feel like you're, you know, you're a terrible mother. So I've had to learn over the years to be confident in what I'm doing, be confident in the outcomes, and tune out and not, you know, fixate on all the comments. Wow, that's crazy. Do you get most of these comments from other women? I would say yes. Um, yes, because men don't think about that because they travel, nobody asks those things, and so yeah. they kind of don't think about it. Um, but I mean, I do get other comments from men, you know, then it's different because they're comparing sometimes, you know, to their wives and their situations. And mm-hmm. then, you know, they're kind of curious, you know, where, what you're sacrificing. You know, that's a question that I get asked a lot. Okay, so, okay, business work, you know, you travel, I speak also, I've spoken internationally, which has been amazing, kids, so so what is it that you sacrifice? Mm. You know, <laughs> my time answering those questions is what I sacrifice. I should say that sometimes. Yeah. Um, no, so the questions can come from uh, from any source, but uh, that's what it means. You know, one of the amazing things that happens there, and it only started happening this year, is when you can bring those separate identities together. In one place. Um, so to me, with my daughter who now turned 10, one was March 8th, International Women's Day. Um, I was invited invited to give a talk um, to a group of entrepreneurs in Ottawa, and I brought my daughter. And so talking about growing up in the Soviet Union and uh, talking about women's rights and the meaning of International Women's Day, um, while she was staring at me, like I actually went to her talking about it because it was I, I it was the hardest talk for me to deliver, and like I've delivered. Some, some difficult talks, but that was, just looking at her, I was so nervous, and she was not eating, she was like, her eyes were wide open, her mouth was open, she, after that, so I give a talk, and after me, it was an Olympian, uh, she's a four-time Canadian Olympian, after the talk, my daughter is convinced that I'm famous, <laughs> convinced, I 
I've also given a talk alongside a former Dragon's Den judge, and I watched Dragon's Den with my daughter. Because mm-hmm. I was going to the airport, um, she she goes, I'm like, you, you are famous. You just don't want to tell me. And then the other day again, she's like, listen, I Googled you. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so famous. And I'm like, what? Like, why? Like, what did you Google that tells you I'm famous? She's like, you're on the internet. I'm like, yeah, on the internet. Oh, she's so um, cute. But just bringing the two together. And then another, there was another day where I was driving her to school. And uh, I remembered that I hadn't prepared for a conference call that I was going to have. And I needed to write down a whole bunch of questions. And I was like, listen, pull out a notepad and a pen. I'm telling you the questions, you're writing them down. <laughs> I need help because I'm driving. Um, she wrote them down so neatly. So then when I was on the call, I was like reading them out. Um, that's amazing. So those moments when, when you bring the two together, um, for me, have been reassuring and then reminders so that I can tune out the external noise that sometimes, you know, breaks you, breaks you down a bit. And just focus on that. So you said that you react to them differently now than you used to. How did you used to react to them? Whereas now you, you tune them out, right? Yes, I question myself uh, profoundly. I uh, Usually I would find myself in conversations where I would start proving to a person, sometimes a stranger, that I am a good parent or I'm involved in my business. Um, and I would just start, you know, but, but this, but that. Um, you know, and including, you know, including my mother, including my, you know, people close to me who also question, you know, I'm, you know, oh. You're leaving your daughter an extended day. Hmm, but it's so late, you know. I used to go go on and on explaining how it's not that late or not so bad. Or I'm doing this. Um, I just don't respond anymore. So I, I tune it out. It still stays some time. I think we can you know, all relate to that. Um, but I just don't don't engage in conversation about it anymore externally or internally. You just want to take all the criticism and everybody's opinions. So, yeah. Do you believe in work-life balance? It's a very hard question to answer because I don't know what it means exactly. Okay, I, and, and 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 I mean that um, because I don't think anyone does. Really. Right. Well, I think a lot of people mean you know do you have enough time? Like, can you work a lot and be successful, but also have enough time for yourself? I think that's like the spare yeah. time, or like self care time. Because mm-hmm. often when we talk about balance, we're still talking about self care. Yeah. If if that's what it, what it means, then yes, I have an answer. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure because. Especially for somebody who is like me, work is the core part of my life. Mm-hmm. This is the life I'm living. <laughs> work is core of my identity. So what's that balance between work and life? I'm living right now. My work, I'm living. You know. Um, so that's why it's a hard question to answer. Um, is it possible to be all in work wise, all in as an amazing plugged in mother who loves and cares, and also to develop yourself to um, also, give yourself time for self-care, that free time. Yes, absolutely, it's possible. I think um, the more you have on your plate, the more organized you have to be, the more to-do lists and notes on the phone you carry. And I think it's, it takes a lot of that. But is it possible? Yes, of course. Do you think working fathers also feel guilty? Uh, yes, they absolutely do, but a lot less. And... Um, I'm, I'm saying this as a fact because I'm in, um, I'm in groups of entrepreneurs where we speak very candidly. And um, I, it's a topic also that, that comes up a lot for me and then everybody discusses and everybody shares. So yes, of course, because um, whenever you are, um, you know, you're involved, you want to go all in, but then, 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 then you have a big project, what has to be completed. If you travel, you travel, right? If you're not there, you feel guilty. 
uh, men just feel a lot less guilty and a lot less porn uh, for a couple of reasons. A, they're not on the receiving end of any comments, right? So there's not, nothing explained. B, they're on the receiving end of a lot of applause and a lot of congratulations on the little things that they do, right? That women do all the time. <laughs> and that is mine. So example, you know, we get together with the, uh, with the guys in the group of entrepreneurs and one of them will say, guys, last couple of weeks, rough, you know, my, my, my wife was traveling and uh, I had to, you know, take care of pickups and drop-offs and whatever, and, they, and everybody goes, good for you, and you know, awesome, you know, you did it, it's amazing, and I'm just deadpan, right? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, like, that's my life, and um, that's what I do, you know, all the time, or, um, you know, I have decided that, you know, my Sundays, dedicated completely to family you know i'm going to be there for you know, dinner and i'm going to be there i'm going to do an activity with my kids and again I'm, and everybody congratulates this is great that you set up this time for family and that you're there and i'm like come on like if i miss five dinners every week or six you know if it's just sunday people are going to you know cross pattern as a woman and say you know i'm not going to congratulate but i'm dedicating <laughs> a day <laughs> to my family Mm-hmm. Expect that, that everything else is an anomaly, and that normally that's that is what I'm doing is family time. Um, so it becomes a lot, um, it becomes a lot easier for men. But listen, on the other, on the flip side of things, you know, men carry a lot more pressure for professional success. For for example, right? Sometimes as a woman, it's easier to be congratulated on achievements where a man might not be, right? So it's it's a give or take. I'm not putting, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the when it comes to parenting, yes, <laughs> we carry the load, but um, but for for everybody, we'll face our own challenges. You know, that are some of them are gender specific. Mm-hmm. As your kids get older, because now they're still they're still pretty young, do you think you're going to put even more energy into your business? I already have. Really? You know, yes. So I tell you don't have kids, do you? No. Okay. So you have your first kid. You're excited. You're elated. But then you go through emotions, and then at some point, you just say. Is my life ever going to be the same? It won't. Okay? <laughs> okay. That's just, it, everybody goes through that. Okay? And I'm here to tell you, so the first two years, it's a write-off. Like, mm-hmm. It's a write-off. Like, you cannot expect to be finding mm-hmm. some sort of, you know, previous advance write-off. Year from two to three, it starts getting better. You start telling yourself, you know, then what happens is usually that's when, when people have a second kid, right? Yeah. And then you go back to square one. I did it. I waited six years. Um, but by the time they're three, three and a half, your life's back. They're more independent, they're less needy, you're sleeping the nights, you're working your full capacity, you're able to stay at the daycare until five and you don't feel completely guilty and terrible. Um, yes, so as of the last few months, um, I have been working a lot more. I'm also capable of working from home in the evenings because I have the energy before just that time would take so long mm-hmm. and would be, you know, so draining that it would yeah. be impossible. It's not no longer the case. Um, so I'm already working more and now you know, we're starting to focus on scaling the business again, bringing it to, you know, out of the status quo that we achieved and bringing it to a completely new level. Um, so no other kids in, in the pipeline. So yes, absolutely. Now is the time to focus. Oh, that's so interesting. And your youngest one is how old? My youngest is going to be four, almost four. So for everyone listening, as soon as your kids turn four, you can go back work mode all the time. Three and a half. <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> three and a half, and now that I have two kids, I've validated that as a, as a factual statement. Three and a half. I'll it all gets massively better. It's all good, a three and a half. <laughs> you can also you can bring them to restaurants, and they're able to oh, just sit there, and you don't have to run yeah. around. And 
Yeah. You can bring them on planes and you know they can handle themselves. Yeah. They go to the food fast. And just everything becomes better. And you feel more, you know, healthier again. So then what is, if I can ask you this question, what is the next level for Pranexia? A couple of different things. Um, and very exciting. So first of all, we just restructured the business. We changed a lot of things internally. We restructured quite a bit internally um, to also optimize operations and uh, and everything that we're doing. So that's number one. Number and we're going to be hiring more now. We're ready to continue expanding. That's number one. Number two is we are building an HR association of the future, and that's the project we're incredibly excited about. Um, we right now we don't have an HR community in Montreal that is modern and inspiring. We have an order of HR professionals, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a bit archaic and it's a bit. Old. It's what the HR profession used to be, but it's not what it is anymore. You know, HR used to be a bit of a paper pusher within an organization, not strategic, not visionaries. And it's finally changing. We're seeing HR professionals who are um, inspired, who are given the opportunity. It's not, that it's not a generational thing. It's not that it's a profession change. HR is given the seat at the strategy table. You know, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. become a different vocation. The order hasn't adjusted. And we, because our clients are HR professionals, we kept hearing things against the order and the dissatisfaction and uh, we host annual culture conferences and we've been hearing you know if only there was more of that and we said well let's create that we will host an annual culture conference why don't we have um, monthly learning events and you know bring people together and bring speakers who are well connected and why don't we build this um so our plan is to build an association within three years and then take it national and uh, we launched in the summer. We are at uh, actually the last meeting that was a month ago. We were at fifty-five active members, and we're growing past that number. We um, we just received uh, RSVP for our next event, and it's growing faster than than, than we even anticipated. Um, so we're building a community of uh, HR influencers that will be quite quite unique for Canada. Oh my God, that's amazing! And what what tools or strategies are you? To grow this community so one you know you asked about linkedin before my mm-hmm. personal brand that i've been building um, i've definitely been able to leverage that right because yeah pranix uh, is known i've become more known in the in, in the hr community hr world and um also just linkedin reaching out to people and spreading the word because there's such a need for this there's such a gap it's easy to excite people and then of course we have to deliver so we've from the get girl implemented incredible structure around it built a leadership committee right away consisted from members so the mm-hmm. idea is it's not something that Pronex is delivering it's an association by the members for the members you know doing it together so we built a leadership committee uh, we have a learning calendar there's consistency and so as part of our leadership committee also um, so there are different roles that we assigned there are chairs there are co-chairs and there's a recruitment chair and co-chairs so the chair is not a Pronexia employee or not leverage our own recruitment uh, we're spreading the word, and what's very exciting um, that's been fueling the growth um, already is word of mouth. People are already telling other people, bringing their colleagues, bringing other people in HR, and it's, it's growing uh, through word of mouth, which is the most beautiful thing. Yeah, that means you're providing a value that people are looking for. That's awesome. Karina, you have a very unique story. You grew up not knowing what entrepreneurship was. <laughs> then you became an entrepreneur. What is your advice for people who want to become an entrepreneur? What is your one piece of advice to get them to just start? 
Another complex question. <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't know what it means to want to become an entrepreneur. Why? Why? Why does somebody want to become an entrepreneur? What does it mean? I feel that as a concept and as an idea, it has been incredibly glorified um, for no obvious to me reason, right? Because, um, I mean, if it's too, why, to start something? Is it just the starting? Um, I wouldn't necessarily, if, if, you, if there's something you want to start, you will start. Because mm-hmm. you have an idea at the time, but you don't need my advice or anybody's advice, right? If it's just to become an entrepreneur, well, what's the motivation, right? A lot of people say, well, I don't want to have a boss. I want to work for myself. You don't work for yourself when you have employees. You work for them. You know, you're there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to have the flexibility. What flexibility? You know, <laughs> what flexibility do you have? You know, you have to... You, you have to work as hard as you would work if you were career-oriented working somewhere else, right? Yes, I'm able to attend my daughter's soccer practice or the dance recital. And so can anybody on my team. It's the same flexibility and live in the era of flexibility for employees as well. Um, so just to become an entrepreneur, I don't have advice. I think it's important to, I think it's important to be happy, you know? And I think it's important to be growing and learning and being massively focused on self-development. I think that's important. You know, if somebody's happy twiddling their thumbs and watching YouTube, which I do quite a bit of, <laughs> when I need my downtime and you feel happy, well, no, because it will catch up with you and then one day you will wake up unhappy. Um, you have to continuously invest in your self-growth and happiness and excitement and check, are you happy? Are you excited? But would I say that I would be any less fulfilled if I were working Right now, as I'm a vice president of talent acquisition of a global company and doing a lot of the same things that I would be still building an association. I would be traveling and speaking. I'd be on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'd be leading people. That's something I love. Would it be any less happy or fulfilled? I don't think so. That was a great answer that I was not expecting. <laughs> <laughs> so I have one final question for you, Nina, which I think you kind of touched upon, but I just want to clarify. What do you think was the one thing that got you to where you are today? I think it's very simple. I think the one thing that got me to where I am today is um, is I am a workhorse. I, I really am. And I, I, and I think it comes down to simply that. I, I don't know, not even I don't know, but I don't know of a single person um, who achieved any amount of, um, you know, professional success or any type of, you know, creative success uh, without working really, 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 really hard. Um, and um, I would say that is the number one thing. And then, of course, a lot of different factors. And, you know, there's also, you know, some serendipity and timing along the way and meeting the right people and putting yourself out there and exposure, you know, having, you know, the guts also to put yourself out there and connect with people. That's all very important. But I think at the very, at the end of the day, if you love working and you're going to work really hard, it's going to bring you places. It might be entrepreneurship. It might be something better. <laughs> oh, great way to end this off. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Marina. Thank you so much for having me. Before ending this episode, I just want to highlight how great it was to chat with Marina and how she opened up about her previous experiences. I like that she questions why people want to be entrepreneurs and how her and her partner had to fire customer even when they were trying to grow their business. That must have been super tough. And I'm wondering, do you think he would have done the same in similar circumstances? 
Thanks for listening, everyone.